Welcome to the Trojan Talk Podcast. We are going later in the week than normal for good reason. We had to wait and see what the deal was with the story of the week. And it seems like every week now there is a new major story of the week. And this week it was the status of the quarterback picture for USC and specifically the status of freshman Jackson Dart. Before I bring in my co-host, I will just you know drop the news at the top of the show. We were able to confirm other reports that Dart underwent surgery earlier this week for a torn meniscus, which is not a worst-case scenario when you're talking about potential knee injuries, but we'll definitely keep him out for a while, and we'll just see how cautious they want to be moving forward after that if he comes back this season or if they just play it safe. But that's the news. So Keaton Slovis is still the starting quarterback, as he might have been regardless. And Miller Moss is the backup, and we will discuss all of that as I bring in my co-host, Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, our Trojansports.com analyst, Max. What up, Ron? Good to be back. Yeah, Dante uh, escaped his first tough decision by, uh, obviously it's tough news with, with Jackson, but uh, makes uh, makes a decision easy on, uh, on Dante's end. Yeah, let's just recap what we've been through here the last week and a half. We're talking about a week and a half. The head coach is fired. Clay Helton is let go last Monday, and that's enough news for for an entire season, let alone a week or a month. Then we get to Saturday. Keaton Slovis is knocked out of the game on the first series with a sack that causes a neck injury. That's a big story. Then we have Jackson Dart come in in his first appearance off the bench and throw for 391 yards and four touchdowns while leading USC to 45 straight points. We have the Dante Williams story of the interim head coach rallying this beleaguered Trojans squad and inspiring them to uh, get behind him and, and really buy into the rest of this season and come out with a big first win. Then we have talk of a quarterback competition, which Dante himself helps fan the flames of Sunday by saying he wants to see a QB battle and they might not decide on a starter until the end of the week. Then we have the questions about, well, who's actually healthy? And we find out Tuesday that Keaton Slovis is healthy. He comes out and practices. Jackson Dart is nowhere to be seen Tuesday or Wednesday. Dante Williams and Graham Harrell play coy all week. Uh, right up until Thursday morning, we talked to Dante on Thursday morning, and he was still saying no update. And you know, certainly his right to use that gamesmanship to keep Oregon State guessing so they have to prepare for both quarterbacks. But we finally get the news late Thursday afternoon that Jackson Dart did have surgery earlier in the week. I was told it was on Tuesday and that he will be out, you know, for the foreseeable future. And the status quo with Keaton Slovis. Max, take us through your range of not emotions, but just your range of digesting all this over the last week. Yeah, my digestion starts uh, in the booth in Seattle when I was calling the Washington game on Saturday, and I'm checking my phone, and I see SC's down, and then I start seeing Jackson Dart light up the stat sheet. I'm like, what is going on? I, to be honest, I thought originally that Keaton had got benched because I thought, you know, Graham's from the Mike Leach mindset, and Leach benched, benched Luke Folk several times during Luke Folk's tenure at Washington State. I was, you know, I had Washington State on my mind. I was like, did Graham really do that? Did Graham really bench Keaton and go with the the, the flashy youngster? Then I found out, obviously, that, that Keaton got hurt. And fast forward the next day when I watched the film, I was 
I was very impressed. I won't say blown away because I knew Jackson Dart was a stud by all reports and, and everything you heard, but I was very impressed with that performance. And there's a lot of teams around the Pac-12 that would be dying for that quarterback performance from their starter. So very impressed there. And then after the fact, I think I, I tapped back into the the mindset that, I, that I've been in in, in terms of uh, – as a player at SC and not that I can relate to exactly what Jackson and, and Keaton are going through, but I was more of the camp that I think Keaton has done enough in his career to earn the right to go out there and start versus Oregon state, even if Jackson was healthy, which I'm sure we can get into that. But uh, that's the stance that I got back into. And then I sat next to Jackson in person on Monday night, six inches away from his right, right knee. And don't worry, SC fans. I was, uh, I was careful, but on Monday night, I think if you're having two, if you're having surgery on Tuesday, I think it's safe to, if people can connect the dots, it's safe to say that Monday night, they, they, I'm sure they knew what was, was in store. They knew, they knew it wasn't great per se, but I like the way that you, you prefaced it. It could be a lot worse. Could be the, the ACLs of the world. And I don't think it's a season ending deal. It's obviously tricky. And if Keaton gets off to, you know, hot start moving forward. I'm sure they won't even won't even address it. But I I think after Clay got fired, I thought, hey, the USC fan base that's the spark they need to be excited about the future. Is just a new head man. We'll double down on that spark because you just saw the future at the quarterback position for SC and SC fans have every reason to be uh, excited with Jackson Dart. He's he's a stud for sure. Yeah, even though there's not going to be a QB competition at this moment, I still want to discuss the hypothetical of of what we think would have happened or should have happened during that because it might get revisited coming up. But let's just start with his performance, first of all. He comes off the bench, 30 for 46, 391 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions, did lose a fumble. And we talked to Graham Harrell, and I asked him what impressed him the most about it, and he said just the way he didn't get rattled early when he comes out and throws a pick on his first series, then loses a fumble, and just – continues to remain aggressive to be that gunslinger that is the label that's been attached to him the knee injury happens on the final drive of the first half they're down 14 nothing they need any spark they've already lost Keaton Slovis for the game and Dart takes a defensive back to the knee a guy dives in takes him out of his knee upends him on a seven yard run and if you go back and watch that replay you can tell immediately that that is a serious injury he is struggling to get stability on that leg right away. He's kind of shaking it out, but he's also trying to figure out how to walk on it. And when I went back and watched it now, knowing what the outcome is, I, I'm like, well, well, yeah, I can see it right there, plain and simple. He doesn't come out even for a snap, drives him down the field, hits the 38-yard touchdown to Gary Bryant on fourth and nine to make it 14-7 before the half to give them some life, some spark and comes out after halftime with a brace on and does the rest of his damage. It just makes the legend of that performance grow even more impressive is what I would say about that. Without a doubt. The most impressive part is the is the worst part of the stat sheet, the, the fumble and interceptions and whatnot, because to your point, like the, the way he was able to respond, that doesn't happen with youngsters. He didn't flinch. It's that trust. And um, I think – Graham's taken a lot of criticism so far this year, but if we're being truth tellers, we get we'll, we'll tell it when it's when the criticism needs to be there. I think we also need to tell it when it's great. And that fourth and nine call to trust your freshman quarterback to instill that in your freshman quarterback to scheme that up to call that. I was really impressed with that. I was impressed with 
the play calling in this in this game. I know the run game is not there, but to me, I think Graham doesn't really care about that. To be honest, I think he loves the the spread spread wide open um, nature of that offense. I think with Clay being gone, you saw with Graham with full control what that looks like, which has me intrigued of how much input really Clay had in that offense. But anyways, back to Jackson. Yeah, super impressed with that. The ability to respond, and he played on time, too. Like, it's more than – like, when you hear gunslinger mentality, like, what does that mean? That means no hesitation, right? That's – I mean, we're, we're thinking Aaron Rodgers hitting receivers right out of his break. Like, that's what Jackson did. Not every read was perfect, but he found a way to make it right by getting the ball out of his hands quickly. A, a saying that Clay would always use is, oh, wait for the light to turn on, wait for the light to turn on for, for young guys. Yes. Well, the light is on for Jackson, and you can tell by how fast he's playing. A lot of quarterbacks I mentioned before around the conference are not playing like that. They're playing with hesitation. You can tell they're like a beat slow. The fact that Jackson goes out there, no flinch, he's a baller. And uh, I think there's, uh, there's the ceiling, make it as high as you want. I think that's, that's realistic for him right now. He came out not only had the the turnovers early, but he also he had a few wayward passes that just were off the mark. I don't know if it was a communication thing or just uh, jitters, nerves, whatever. And so you really don't know what you're going to get out of this. And then it just clicks, and he's just locked in the rest of the game. And he he brought this offense to life. He brought the downfield passing game to life. I think he had four or five passes of, of 30 yards or more, or something like that, most of them to Drake London. Uh, obviously the big one to Gary – Joseph Manjack had a big, big catch and run, but he was really just trusting the receivers and he was throwing it up for them. And he had a beautiful shot down the seam to to London, uh, just right where he needed to be over the defender. He threw a great back shoulder to to Drake. He he threw one up deep down the seam that was dropped in perfectly in front of one defensive back and before the, the safety could come over and try to make a play on the ball. It just seemed like his touch was uncanny the rest of that game. And for it to be your first game, for it to be on the road, for it to be in somewhat wet conditions, for it to be in a game you didn't expect to go into, we can add all these qualifiers that just make it more and more impressive than even what the box score says. Max, take us into a player's mentality when you're not expecting to play and you get thrust into a game like that. What is the, the reflex reaction, and then does that make it easier? Does it make it harder? Uh, what's the impact of that? Yeah, especially when it's on the road in Pullman. It's pretty cold. I guess it was, it's only early September. I remember my first road trip to Pullman as a true freshman was in November, and it's freezing cold, and I'm like, man, I'm not trying to play. I don't want to go in there cold weather and get hit and all that. So <laughs> I think that only adds to it. But, yeah, to your point, it goes both ways. I think there's an element of you're not – the, the buildup of the week doesn't put unnecessary pressure on a quarterback to overthink things. Uh, Jackson doesn't remind me as a overthinking type of guy. Um, so I don't know if that would have been an issue, but there. it forces you to just, you know, go out there and react. And especially when you don't have the full weeks of reps to fall back on. Uh, I think you, 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 you think less and you're just reacting. I thought Brock Heward made a very interesting point in the telecast and that he said, Sometimes first-year quarterbacks have the most success in an air raid type of scheme because you're just not thinking. You're just going out there and you're reacting versus when you get more comfortable, when you have more success, that's when you might you know, try to try to do too much and things of that nature. So as a youngster, it, it forces you to just go in there and not blink, and that's certainly what, what Jackson brought to the park. 
Well, I'll add one more qualifier to the list I've already mentioned. He comes into a game behind a shaky offensive line that allowed Keaton Slovis to get annihilated from both ends on that play where he injured his neck. And he's playing half the game knowing that his knee is messed up to some degree. And he's playing behind the same line that just had the previous quarterback knocked out of the game and still was just totally poised. And Clay McGuire even gave him credit saying, I thought the quarterback bailed us out a lot uh, by getting rid of the ball quickly and making quick decisions. And so uh, that's something that you would hope a veteran quarterback can do in that situation. But to add that to the list of things he accomplished in that game, uh, just being mindful of maybe I've, I've got to really be quick and, and decisive here so that the old line is not an issue. It's just another – Another compliment to his performance. Yeah, there's two interesting comments this week from coaches that have piqued my interest or have made my ears kind of perk yeah. up. The first one is with the one you just said right there from Clay McGuire is, hey, the quarterback bailed us out by getting the rid of the ball. Well, the flip side of that is, does that mean the first two weeks that the quarterback has not been bailing you out and not been getting rid of the ball quickly? And the second one was um, Dante's comment about the complacency at quarterback. Uh, and I know he... He said it, I think, start, I think he said it in the mindset of just coaches talk, right, of competition, you know, it, it, it forces you to, to get to, you know, to, to build upon it. And he said, oh, like you can't, it doesn't allow you to get complacent. I don't think he was directly calling out Keaton, but in my opinion, if you had a quarterback that was not at all complacent whatsoever with any sense of the word, I don't think that's where you go initially if you're the head coach. And so yeah. those two comments got me interest, interested in terms of, hey, maybe this is the nice, a nice kick in the rear that Keaton Slovis does need to level up his game. If you look at the stats across the, co- the conference, Keaton is the worst quarterback against pressure in the conference to date. And so getting the ball out of his hands quickly, not reacting, and is that all on him? No, that's scheme. That's, no, that's, that's having hots. That's, you know, some of the competition maybe you're playing and some of the schemes you're doing, and it, it certainly falls in the offensive line a little bit. But Keaton, at the level he's in, to have to be 12 out of 12 in terms of against pressure, uh, completion percentage, that's concerning to me. And all those little statistics and comments to me are on the same thread. And I'm excited for Keaton moving forward of maybe this is the, you know what, it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows at SC. I need to go out there and, and grind and be on my P's and Q's, and maybe this is the spark that he needs. Yeah, well, those are definitely eye-opening comments. I've got one more for you. This goes back to a point you made earlier about this being Graham's first game without Clay Helton. And so I, I thought to ask him this week, I, I thought it was a fair question. I said, Graham, was there anything post-coaching change that you were able to do with the offense that you weren't able to do before? And I didn't expect him to answer it because it's, it's a loaded question, even if that wasn't my intent, but there's no other way to ask it. He gave the, the standard Graham Harrell chuckle at the top, which usually comes when, when you ask a hard question that he, uh, he finds amusing or knows he's not going to answer. But then he said something really interesting. He goes, not really. I think that more than anything, they, they just loosened up. I think in the first half, they pressed a little bit. They played a little tight. He said, I think there's been some tightness, it seems, for like a year and a half now at times. People pressing, playing too tight. And finally, they loosened up and just played what we expect to play. Be loose, have fun, go out there and light it up. That's a comment to dissect. So he's saying that, that the offense has played tight for a year and a half and then finally looked like it's supposed to look and play loose this game. Now, there's three things you can read into that or three conclusions you could draw potentially. One is because the 
cloud of the Helton scrutiny, the Helton backlash from the fans was finally lifted over this program, and they weren't going to a game knowing that their head coach was going to be picked apart if things didn't go well? Is it B, the Dante Williams effect, and just the way he galvanized his team and the energy he gave them? Or is that C, a direct comment about the change of quarterback and Jackson Dart allows us to play free, whereas we've been playing tight with our veteran starter the last year and a half? Max, what was your takeaway from that? Yeah, I'll enter door A. I think it's door A all the way. Okay. Um, because door B is not the case because Clay Helton himself created that spark back in 2015 and 2014. So uh, I think that happens with any new coach. You know, guys are, you know, guys loosen up. It's a, it's a fresh, and don't, not trying to discredit Dante, but it's just a fresh presence that I think allows everyone to just, you know, take a, take a deep breath, so to speak. Door three with Keaton and, and, and Jackson. I can't blame someone for entering that door, but I just don't think that's the case. And so I'll go uh, the door A of just the, the Clay Hilton cloud because, and you notice it in Graham's play calling, just literally t- turn on the film from week three to week one. It's a way more freed up play calling in terms of you can tell that's what Graham wants to be. That's what Graham wants to do. You didn't see, you saw very little 12 personnel in week three. Versus week one, you saw a lot of it. And I can only imagine, having been in a similar headset mentality five years ago, I'm sure Clay's on the headset at times saying, man, we got to be balanced or we got to establish the run game or even in meetings just the way the way that he was raised in football of, hey, man, we got to pound him, we got to smack him with the mouth, all that type of mindset. I'm sure that rubs off on Graham and the players in terms of, hey, if we don't score on this drive, if we don't score on this possession, does that mean the fans are going to start booing us? Does that mean... Our coach is going to get tight and everything, you know, gets tight around them in general. I'm sure there was a ton of that the past, like he said, 18 months or so, year and a half, that now, sure, if you don't score or don't pick up a first down on a drive, obviously it's not ideal, but it's not the heavy weight and the dark cloud over you that uh, it has been for, for such a long time now. Yeah, that's, that's where I went first as well, but I just – Given that the the QB comparisons were just flying around this week in the in the Twitterverse and the message boards, and everyone had a side, I just couldn't help but think that everyone was going to cling to that comment and and read into it as a as a comment on on Dart versus Slovis. Let me just build off what you just said about the play calling, and this is where I really wanted to get your expertise because I, I'm just I'm not an X's nose guru. It's I probably don't see everything that you see. What in particular look different to you this week aside from just the personnel were they doing things differently that that you you haven't seen in a while that you think might be part of the offense moving forward eric Cromwell finally played tight end and what i mean by that is past couple years i mean we all sensed it sc fans when you're sitting on your couch watching the games when 84 goes in the game everyone's thinking block first a block first mentality for the most part versus this game man he's he's running routes he's getting up on the second level and and sure i'm i'm stretching a point to make one obviously he's run routes in a year and weeks past but i sensed on the film that he was you know part of this passing game it wasn't just something they oh eric run a route just so to, to keep the defense honest kind of thing no he's running routes to to get open and should there have been a different coverage 84 would have got the rock in that game a bunch so and obviously you see bits and pieces of uh of Jude Wolf in there too, but just the, the, the overall body language and pressure that the tight end put on the defense in this game uh, in terms of free flowing in the past game was, was definitely noticeable 
to me. Uh, outside of that, um, I mean, the personnel is the big one. And, and when people hear that, oh, 12 personnel versus 11 personnel, well, Max, like, what does that mean? Well, it means you're having a third receiver on the field more often than not, which then allows you to be more spread and or have more spread type of concepts and be more explosive and get on top of the secondary quicker. And as a result, we saw uh, there's certainly, I think, going into the season, the, the big question is, hey, who is going to be receiver number two? I think now we have an answer to what that is, yeah. and it's going to be receiver two by committee. And this year there is a big drop-off from Drake London to the next guy, which hasn't been the case the past few years. And so I, I say that because you're, we saw a little bit more of, of guys get mixed in there a little bit. But the tight end position and the usage of the tight end jumped out to me right away. Interesting. That's not where I would have gone first, and that's why we have you on here, because I would not have perceived that uh, to that level. Building off that, did you see more guys open downfield, or was it just Jackson Dart – and his aggressiveness making those plays happen, whereas maybe the same opportunities were there for Keaton Slovis the first two weeks and he wasn't taking those shots? Or was it just that there were actually more guys open this game? That's a good question. I don't think it was extremely noticeable, so I'll start start that way. I think Jackson Dart made a ton of great throws in this game. So the plays that are 50-50, the plays that are bang-bang, he found a way to make those throws and get the ball out on time. The same token, do I look back the past couple of weeks and say, oh, is Keaton Slovis missing guys wide open? Is he not making throws? Eh, I'm not ready to go that far. I think there are elements of quick game, and like I alluded to in the, in the blitz packages and whatnot, where he can get the ball out a little bit quicker. But... The, the, once again, the, the week one, we've only had three games so far, and the sample size with Keaton in the third game is non-existent. In the first game, it, that, that was a, a totally different playbook week one to week three. So it, to me, it's just not a large enough sample size to really make that those comparisons, especially with the Stanford game. SC just got beat on all accounts. I mean, not even just Keaton Slovis aside. They got beat on all accounts. So it doesn't jump out to me as a huge difference, hence the fact why I believe that Keaton – earned the right to get the start versus Oregon State Oregon State, no matter what. But at the same time, don't take anything away from, from Jackson Dart. Those 50-50 throws, the ones where, hey, if you're a quarterback and you don't pull the trigger, it's not necessarily your, your fault type of thing. I think Jackson did a great job of finding a way to make those plays. Well, I think you just kind of led us to our next topic. And, and let's go into what the hypothetical would have been if all options were on the table this week. And uh, I'll just spoil it by telling you right at the top, I'm with you. And I wrote a whole column about it on Sunday. It was a debate in the fan base. It was a debate on Twitter, on message boards. It should be Dart. It should be Slovis, this, that. It was also a debate amongst the media. I I had some spirited conversations before and after practice this week with my fellow USC beat writers. Not that we had any vested interest, but just that we had opinions. And we were kind of doing like a PTI or, you know, around the horn kind of kind of back and forth debate, making our case for why we thought it should be this way or that way. My thinking, I, I think you can make a case for either one, and I, I would have bought it, I would have understood. But I have just personally not believed that Keaton Slovis was the problem the first two weeks. I just, I, I just didn't see that from him. I think his arm velocity is back. I think that he maybe has not been aggressive enough, and that was the takeaway for me after watching Jackson Dart. was like, man, this guy made some things happen, took some shots. So I could totally get someone saying that 
may have higher upside and brings more to the table. But people are acting like Keaton Slovis can't play the position anymore. I just don't think that he was the problem the first two weeks or, or the main problem or the only problem. I think there was a lot going on. And how many throws did we see him whistle in at, you know, Nolan Ryan 100-mile-an-hour speeds because there wasn't much open and he just had to, had to cram it into Drake London or someone, you know, 9, 10 yards downfield. I, I thought he made a lot of good throws. I thought he got let down by the receivers in the Stanford game. I thought the throw to Gary Bryant that was not a touchdown was a great throw by him in a big spot. And he's made so many of those over his career that I just have not lost confidence that he can still do that. So I thought it would have been almost cruel if on this season when his future, his NFL hopes are riding on this season, if he didn't get a chance to even – try and keep his job or or prove that he deserved to keep his job. If he was knocked out because his two redshirt freshman linemen uh, surrendered him to the Wolves on that first series and he never got a chance to even, you know, go back in the game and and prove that, hey, I I can still do this. That would have been like almost cold uh, in my mind. So I thought that for everything he's done for this program, uh, just and for the uncertainty of – it's still a small sample size. We don't know for sure that there's a, a massive difference between how one or the other will play the rest of the season. I thought he deserved the chance to go out there, but with a short leash. I would have sent him out there to start, and if they come out flat in the first half and it looks like the first two games and it's just not clicking, then yes, I would have gone to Jackson Dart. I would not have been hesitant to do that or have that in my back pocket going to the game, but I just couldn't see benching Keaton Slovis after that game, especially when Washington State is maybe not the best gauge for making drastic change when you consider that Keaton Slovis' best game last season was against Washington State. Five touchdowns and uh, almost 300 yards and a high completion percentage. JT Daniels' best game of his USC career was against Washington State. So I just, you know, who's to say if Keaton had played that full game, if he wouldn't have put up great numbers? I have a hard time thinking he would have surpassed or matched what, what Jackson did. I will grant that. But I would have given Keaton a little more rope and at least want to see what he did in a game. And I know you can say, well, you, well, that's what practice is for. They compete in practice. It's just different. I, I would have wanted to give him a chance to go out in a game. And now that's moot and he'll get it. But a lot of people felt very strongly that you got to play the, the best guy and it's not about loyalty. And we're getting away from that now that Helton's not the coach. And it's it's – what's best in the moment and and go with Dart. Max, how did you weigh all those different facets and factors into that in terms of why you thought that Keaton deserved that chance? Yeah, I weighed him the same way you did. I agree with everything you just said right there. Um, And the only thing I'll add is it'd be a different story if if Keaton was a game manager. And I hate that term as a quarterback because everyone should want to be uh, a game manager, but obviously now in our football world has a, has a negative connotation, but It'd be a different ball game if it was a game manager, but it's not the case. Keaton Slovis has been the reason, his right arm has been the reason USC has won many football games as with him as a starter. And so it's not like one of these things where he's just playing in the system and then now you have this guy that does this added element that we've never, ever seen before. Sure, is Jack, are Jackson's legs better than Keaton? 100%. But Keaton has done enough to earn that role. And I think it sets a, a, a poor precedent in terms of managing your quarterback meeting room, the most important room on your team. If, if you're like you said, one game and you're out and it's not even because of poor performance. Um, I do think it's 
more than appropriate. It should be expected to shorten the leash for Keaton Slovis as a result. I think this should 100% light a fire under his ass to get something done or to, to elevate his game even more. Uh, but I just I, that that's not how – if I'm a head coach, and I know there's a lot of you guys out there that say, Max, you got to get into coaching and whatnot, but if I'm a head coach – so much of it's about player management, and I just think that sets a ter- that sets a, a bad standard for your room. And sure, you can preach competition and all that, but uh, I just think that sets a, a rough precedent, especially with a guy who's a captain and who has produced at a very high level for this team. And, and also come at it through a different angle. So you throw Jackson Dart in there, all right, boom, he's your starter. Well, Keaton Slovis, if I'm Keaton Slovis, I'm transferring at year's end. That's just the reality of where I'm at. I, I can I can go and produce. I, I'm one of the best quarterbacks in the country if I'm if I'm thinking in his mind. Miller Moss, I know he's a, a diehard Trojan, so we'll see what his future is. Maybe he's okay with being a, a he's wired to be a career career backup type type guy. But I would think that Miller transfers after this year for sure. And so if you're a USC fan, that leaves you with one scholarship quarterback, and then you're going to have to go to this whole rodeo of transfer portal and have a youngster come in and. And if I'm a youngster in the class behind me, uh, I know they have the, the Devin Brown kid committed, but, I mean, I'm not coming anytime soon with a guy one grade above me who's who's lighting the world on fire. So all those questions come into play, too, if you're thinking about the program as a whole, which obviously every every the, the coaches this year haven't, are not thinking anything past this year. But uh, that's my job to think past this year. So I think all those factors are fair and come to mind. Yeah, the Miller Mossing will be interesting to watch. I mean, obviously, I can tell you that he did not come in resigned to anything. Dart had a lot more hype or a lot more buzz by the time they both got here, but Miller didn't come in going, okay, well, I'm going to be behind Jackson. So I don't know how he's internalized losing that battle, and especially now that everyone is just buzzing about the future of the program as Jackson Dart. I wonder how he feels. Here's what I think. Here's what I would recommend. I mean, you you just saw in the span of one game, one quarterback get knocked out for the game, and the guy who replaced him get knocked out for an extended period of time now with with knee surgery. So being the number two quarterback at USC is not the worst position to be in. I would at least hang around for a while and wait and see if I got my opportunity through circumstances like that. And then if I went in there and and pulled the Slovis vis-a-vis JT Daniels or, or pulled a dart uh, as he did last week and made it tough to keep me out. So I, I would like to think that he, he hangs around for a little bit just to see what happens. And if I'm a head coach, whoever gets hired for, for SC, that's the message I'm selling to a Jackson dart in the event that Keaton hangs around is sell Jackson on the future. Um, and with his knee, he very well could keep his red shirt too uh, with, how, with how things are going. But that's what I'm selling Jackson dart for those of you guys that might be you know, worried about dart transferring or something or anything like that. It's, hey, the best years for SC are, you know, two, three years from now type of thing when the new culture is established and whatnot and who, who will be around two, three years from now, who will be the leader. It'll be the Jackson dart show. That's a big reason why I stuck around at SC. You know, I lost a job early to Cody Kessler, and I stuck around because, you know, you have a new head coach and Steve Sarkeesian come in, and you're thinking that, hey, the best years are ahead, and we're going to get out of sanctions, and we're going to have – uh, depth, and we're going to have this whole structure around us. Obviously, sanctions is not so much of a thing anymore, but the the mindset stays the same in terms of, I mean, all those guys, all those quarterbacks that come to SC for a reason. They want to be the guy that brings SC back to prominence. It's not easy to leave SC and transfer away as a quarterback. So 
not saying that that's a huge concern for the fan base, but if there is concern that Dart might leave or something, if, if, if Keaton is ingrained and that being the reason that you should give Dart the nod, I think there's more than enough selling points to keep a very promising quarterback warm in the bullpen, so to speak. I would personally be uh, very surprised if Keaton Slovis would want to come back next year. I, I, I think that his whole mindset is on the NFL, and it would have to really flatline the rest of the way to the point where his stock is just, was just not worth cashing in at that time. I, I think if it's anything... I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong, but that's crazy when we think about, hey, a fan base that wants <laughs> your quarterback to be benched yet that same quarterback is thinking about leaving for the NFL. Like, I'm not saying you're wrong, but that is quite the dichotomy or whatever the word is. I think that's the word. And when you phrase it like that, you make a very good point. But, yeah, that that would be very interesting. If if Keaton chose to come back next year, then I think he would be at risk for a new coach having no investment to anybody coming in and maybe just preferring the dual-threat abilities of Jackson Dart, maybe – looking at that Washington State game and seeing the extremely high limitless ceiling and going that direction because he's he's not he didn't recruit these guys he has no loyalty he has no history so I I've got to think at least in Keaton's mind whatever the fans think he's thinking I have got to ball out the rest of the season and go cash in and be in the NFL we'll see what happens definitely interesting so let me ask you this Max now given everything we just talked about what is your expectation for Keaton Slovis this week and in the coming weeks? That's a good question because I was just about to chime in and say, after saying all that, I hope that Keaton doesn't press and like force. But then it's, <laughs> I'm sitting here saying, well, Max, what are you talking about? You're, you just said light a fire, fire under his ass and get him going type of thing, yet you don't want him to press. Like that, that, that's awfully hard to do. But I think it's appropriate to put that on Keaton's shoulders just because he has so many reps and so much experience and now he is the older guy that that's – that's okay, but my expectation is for him to level up. I, I, I really do. I hope that this is a look-in-the-mirror type of moment. And, you know, obviously he's had to deal with some struggles at SC in terms of the coaching change and maybe not the team not being up to the expectations that we have thought. But by and large, I mean, Keaton Slovis, he's, he's the three-star from Arizona, burst on the scene early, takes over the campus, that type of thing. Like things have been things have been solid, you know? He did have the injury and had to battle back from that, don't get me wrong. But this feels like a gut check moment where he can really, hey, you want to go to the NFL, you want to prove you're a dude. Well what what a statement it could be of I got this youngster chasing me. I got my a fan base that's divided in terms of whether or not I should be a starter. All right, I'll go show you. I'll go pro prove you. If you want to go to the NFL, Keen Slovis and, and be that dude and be a first round pick. What an opportunity you have ahead of you to, to prove that. And uh, I'm hopeful, and I, I expect him to, uh, to take advantage of that. I do, too. And I'll go back to what I said earlier about just being around practice this week and talking to other reporters and just the range of opinions. There's going to be uh, an interesting conversation going on in the press box because we've all kind of uh, drawn our line in the sand or, or, or put our chips on whatever. I'm just going to mess up every analogy I try and go to right now. But we've all kind of we've all kind of uh, stated what we expect to happen, and if he comes out and has a rough first half, I'm going to get a text from somebody on the beat going, "I told you he, he doesn't have it anymore." And if he comes out and lights it up, I'm going to say, "I tried to tell you, like he, he wasn't the problem the first two weeks, and he just again, I think he's made some good throws this season. I, I don't think he was the problem." And I go back to last year. When was he at his best? 
when his back was against the wall and all the pressure was on in those three wild comebacks, he was almost lights out down the stretch of those games. So is that not somewhat relatable to this situation where his back's against the wall and he really has to deliver? Maybe it's different in the, it's a broader context. It's not within a game, but I've just seen this guy respond to a lot and I'm going to at least give him the benefit of the doubt and see if he can do it again. I'll ask you this just before we move to other topics, Max, and this is a major talking point among the fans is that, well, he hasn't developed. He's regressed. Do you think that this Keaton Slovis is the same Keaton Slovis that we saw in 2019? Um, the reason I'm hesitating is no, I do not think he's the same Keaton Slovis. I also don't think he's regressed. The, the, the term regress means literally go backwards. I don't think he has gone backwards. I just don't think he has progressed the amount that I thought he would if when we were doing podcasts back in 2019. When he was balling as a true freshman, I was like, man, if he's already doing this at this age, just imagine what he'll do as like two or three years down from down the road. Well, now we're here, and that huge jump hasn't necessarily happened. So I don't think he's regressed, but he has not progressed to the level that I thought he would. Thus, the ceiling has maybe changed a little bit in, in the way you look at him just because he, he hasn't gone to that next step. I think so, yeah. I think there's enough reps under his belt where I would have expected that jump to happen already. And the, next, the logical question is, oh, Max, well, what is that jump? It's the little things. It's once, and you, 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 the loyal listeners have heard me have heard me say this a bunch. It's the QB mastery, right? It's getting the ball on time all the time. It's finding your check down all the time. It's getting through reads extremely quickly. It's being ahead of the defense in terms of what they're trying to do and getting the ball to your hands. All those little nuances that you would expect a big time quarterback to do with that. That's what reps give you. Reps give you that experience to anticipate those things and especially when they're game reps, which Keaton has, you haven't seen that. You're still seeing, you know, those little delays that aren't catastrophic per se, that aren't huge against when you're when you're grading against a quarterback in terms of your Sunday more Sunday or Monday meetings, but they are what you expect of a first round NFL quarterback. And you have not seen that this year and you haven't seen it consistently uh last year as well. And uh and so in that regard, I think it, it, the the progression has lacked. And I, I would say if Keaton was, you know, being honest with things, I feel like he would probably agree with that sentiment as well. Yeah. Keaton Slovis has been very good with the media in this time here. You've heard him on this podcast twice with two exclusive podcasts we did with him. He did not really want to talk to us this week. And it was like a minute and 17 second quick media session on Tuesday and he he wasn't going to really offer any perspective or introspection or get into how he feels about everything or his was it, a, was it a chip on his shoulder type of vibe or was it a screw you guys for bad mouthing me type of vibe i'm going to show everyone wrong type of thing i i think he was miffed I, that's the vibe i got i just I, I think he just felt miffed by everything and and wasn't all that eager to engage about quarterback competition talk and what he thinks being a two-year incumbent starter and his coaches coming out there and saying, I want them to battle for the job this week. I just don't think he had any interest in even playing the role uh, in the media session and, you know, saying what you're supposed to say and getting through it. He, he, he was very perfunctory, very to the point, and we were warned beforehand it was going to be a short, brief interview. 
uh, which we're never really given that preface beforehand, and it was. So, you know, three or four or five questions a minute, 17, he was out. So I I don't know that he's uh, exceptionally happy with the way everything's been framed or the uh, the narrative has kind of changed against him. And remember, he went through this last year too where – he was he was the golden boy his freshman year, and everyone was just talking about the future's bright with Keaton Slovis. He got picked apart from the start last year. I didn't really see it affect him last year. He, he kind of weathered all that, and this preseason he was really upbeat and he was fun to talk to, and he was uh, he had the message to get out there just about how much he had worked in the offseason, how how his confidence was was uh, on the rise again. His arm felt great. There's a bounce to him, and I just haven't seen that bounce of late, but especially not this week. I think the answer is yes to both of your questions. He was not happy. He was miffed, but he also was very eager to prove himself this week. And we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens against Oregon State. We can't talk the whole show about the quarterback, so let's segue. Let's talk about Dante Williams for a minute. And I don't think anyone knew how this team was going to respond to the Clay Helton firing or how they were going to rally behind Dante and play last week until we saw it. And what we saw was kind of the antithesis of everything that fans were so frustrated with Clay about, with Clay Helton about. We saw a team play better in the second half. We saw a team get down and face adversity and come charging back and build momentum where there wasn't any and just take over a game. A lot of things we hadn't seen from this team in a long time, and I credit a lot of it to Dante Williams. I was really fascinated to hear all the anecdotes and perspectives on what he did immediately after becoming the interim head coach last week. He comes in and changes things. He goes, we're now going full pads Tuesday and Wednesday, whereas it used to just be Tuesday. He comes and tells the guys, and it's really his first big practice Tuesday. I guess there was a Monday practice, but he puts competitions on the board, so-and-so versus so-and-so, so-and-so tells them, no matter how these reps look, we're playing it in front of the whole team and breaking it down. So go out there and compete. And Brett Nealon, the veteran starting center, told me, he goes, that's what we need. Like I was so I was so fired up by that. That was my favorite part of the week. And I even had one of those bad reps where I didn't finish and allowed a linebacker to make a play. And he put it up for the whole team and, and said what I did wrong. But that, that's what I need. That's what we need. And it really kind of speaks to a vibe of, these players, like the fans, could see what was missing, what was lacking in this program. They're more than open to a different way of doing things, to a harder edge, to more accountability. There's no pushback on that. They're all balled in. And I do think a lot of that comes because of who Dante Williams is. I don't think you could have put just anybody in that position and had them take that tact and have it land as well as it does with him because everything that makes him an elite recruiter he is now transferring over to this interim head coach role where he is a very straightforward, honest, you know, blunt, if need be, guy. But everyone knows where they stand with him. And he's a great communicator and imbues a, a level of trust in, in players and, and recruits. And he has this relationship with so many of these guys already that they were already, what the word is, pre-qualified to, to buy into him. And they, and they have. So... I didn't know what to expect in the last week, but at, watching how the game played out, watching how he carried himself all week, and he just really impressed in all the press conferences, watching what the players said about him after the game. Gary Bryant going, Dante told us receivers not to wear sleeves, even though it was cold out here because we had to come out and, and be dogs and make a statement. Those little things that just they resonated with the, with the players, telling them they couldn't wear hats in meetings and they all got to dress the same on road trips and 
we're roping off the SC logo in the locker room so no one walks over it anymore and it's respected. Like, they just bought into all that stuff. And I, I don't know how much that ultimately matters or doesn't matter, but it seems like his message landed with, with these guys. Yeah, it's, I'm sitting here, and it's, it's funny hearing me listen to that. And Dante deserves a lot of credit, and I love your point about it, it matters who's saying it, not always what exactly is being said. The coach has to be genuine to who he is, and Dante has that rapport with his guys where he's able to do it. But i got to be honest, and SC fans will be interested uh, to, to hear me say this, but a lot of what Dante's doing is what Kiffin did in 2013. Kiffin was a full pads Tuesday Tuesday, Wednesday practice type of guy. Kiffin was a rope rope off the SC logo, can't walk on it type of guy. And it's funny because when he did it, it got the rapport of, you know, the locker room's too stiff and you're wearing down guys and guys are mumbling under their breath, like, screw this and why are we doing this and all that type of stuff. And then when Kiffin gets fired, then Orgeron's the guy that takes the the uh, the roped SC off. And Orgeron's the guy that goes shells on Wednesday. And Orgeron's the guy that serves cookies for dessert rather than no desserts at dinner and brings in Panda Express for dinner some like every Thursday night. And you're thinking, oh, this is great. This is awesome. We're loose. We're playing free. And as a result, guys played, you know, loose and free and excited and with emotion. Yet, and, and versus, you know, now... Uh, in any coaching change uh, in any level of sports it's funny how you go from you know one side to the other and you try to find the right blend of that and oftentimes you you know maybe go too far in one direction as a result of trying to overcompensate for the first guy so I say that in no criticism for Dante but almost just as a funny tidbit because SC will SC fans will remember the inverse of what's going on now but I think Dante deserves a lot of credit he is a hype me up hard-nosed defensive guy who, like you said, is an elite communicator, hence the fact of why he's able to recruit well. And not only does he can he communicate well, he can sell well. And I know sell has a negative connotation sometimes, but getting guys to buy into what he's bringing to the table goes a long ways. And um, it sounds like some of the, you know, Mr. Nice Guy type of things that Clay established in the program. And um, I always viewed it as, you know, Clay had a had a had a standard or a, a culture of, of of comfort and comfort in that guys liked coming into the meeting room and guys liked being around one another and guys liked playing football for Clay Helton. But the flip side of that is maybe you you got to make things uncomfortable at times for guys to grow. And I think that that look no further than a Wednesday full padded practice because that's going to suck for players in come October when those guys are banged up. Those guys aren't going to be pumped bringing on, put on, putting on full pads on a Wednesday afternoon. But Dante reminds me of a guy that can get guys to, to buy into the why we're, wait, we're wearing full pad practice uh, come October. Yeah, it's, it's great points. And it's kind of like the NFL thing whenever a team fires an offensive-minded head coach, they hire a defensive guy the next time. Yeah. And then they fire the defensive guy and they bring an offensive guy in. So uh, it's, it's a great point. I just think Dante is – Everything is sincere and believable and authentic about him. Uh, you know, and even some of the stuff is very, you know, cliche and coach speak, like the go one and every day thing. I'm I'm already tired of it and we're gonna have have ten more weeks of it. And it's very, you know, coach speak cliche, but if the players buy into it, that's all that matters. And so far so good. We'll see what happens 
moving forward with all that. But the other thing I found interesting this week, though, was just how he was just immediately the complete opposite of Clay Helton. I don't know if it was like a concerted effort to set, to send the opposite message. Feed one time, yeah, total opposite. I mean, just everything he said. We can't celebrate this too long. We played one good half of football, and all season we played one good half of football. So we've got to get a lot better. Clay never would have said that. We asked him about the run game, where they had whatever they had, forty-eight rushing yards, whatever, on Saturday, and and he was like disgusted about it. He goes, "That that can't happen." I I talked to those guys, and they promised me that is not going to happen again. It will be different this week. If we had asked Clay about that. I can tell you exactly what his answer would have been. It would have been, you know, defenses kind of dictate what you do sometimes. And if they're giving you the pass, we take the pass. And we won the game by this many points. And if you look back on the first two weeks, we averaged X amount of rushing yards. And it just would have been a whole bunch of reframing uh, to avoid just saying, yeah, we didn't run the ball well and we got to fix that. He just he always found a way to not take any of that stuff head on. And, and Dante is the complete opposite. He's just, he's blunt and, and he feels the same way the fans do. He's like, yeah, we can't have a run game do that. We can't have those struggles up front. We're going to fix that. So it's, it's very entertaining. That it was a, it's a complete 180 uh, in terms of approach. I'm right with you. I'm right with you. Funny thread to follow uh, in coaching always. And it'll be interesting too, just once the new, uh, new head coach is hired, what that direction is like because i mean hence our thread right now you would think it's a more hard-ass type of guy rather than a warm guy but i guess as i said out loud clay helton's literally 10 out of 10 it doesn't get any more um inviting for a program so yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting to see and there's no shortage of head coaching buzz around SC right now. Well, I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole today. I think we probably talked about it last week. I can't even remember. It's been an absolute blur this last week and a half. But there's two interesting things to follow, and I'm just going to throw them out there, and then we'll move on. If Dante Williams does totally galvanize this team and they finish 10-2 and two or, or whatever, and he clearly has all the support of the players and he's – indispensable recruiter they can't afford to lose i wonder at what point what it would take for him to become a viable candidate and for all that uh you know internal momentum to start building in his direction of we have our guy this is our guy etc etc or the opposite where he does enough where people are happy with it the players really like him and he's proven something but not enough to get the head coaching job here is he willing to then take a demotion back to a position coach role or maybe a coordinator, depending on how things fall out? Or does he feel like he has a lot of juice to capitalize on and says, no, I'm not going backwards. I'm a head coach now, and he gets an offer somewhere. It's going to be very interesting to follow either way, however it plays out, because the ideal scenario for USC, what USC wants, and I know this is what they want, is they want to uh, have Dante on staff next year. They want him a part of this program moving forward. I just – don't know that they want to go down the first-time head coach route again after the Helton era where you you buy fully into a small sample size and then you find out the guy has a lot to learn on the job and it's not quite what you thought you were getting. So I'm, I'm not saying they won't consider him for the head job if he keeps it up. I just don't know what it would take, but I know they want him on staff next year. Anyways, we're running out of time. I'm going to get to two more points, and, and we can go down that discussion on a future podcast once we see you know, what he does beyond one game. It's, it's been one game. So 
I mean, it, it could be totally different this week, and that's a totally moot you know, talking point. So we'll just save that for later. Uh, last two topics, Max. The defense. I just want to ask you one question about the defense performance last week is what do you take from it? Because you had uh, really two very drastically different samples to evaluate. You had the first three series where Washington State marches down the field on two of them and scores touchdowns pretty much at will, both you know moving through the air and on the ground. And then you have the rest of the game where USC totally shuts them down and shuts them out. But most of that is with a walk-on quarterback coming in after Jaden Delora got hurt. So do you buy into what you saw the rest of that game? Or do you say, well, that was against an overmatched quarterback and you really got to take it with a major grain of salt? Both. I think I look at that defense and say, that's a good defense. That's a defense that that, that, that can... I guess that that can be good. That, that we need a larger sample size, but they, they have talent. They're 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 physical at, at times. I think I can I buy in. I, I'm buying the stock of, of SC's defense right now, especially if the stock's down after after a Stanford game because I watched the film of Stanford versus Vanderbilt this past week, and you know what? They got after them too. I know Vanderbilt's not SC, but Stanford's offense looks better than most uh, offenses in the in the conference right now. But in terms of what I take away from this defense. I think I was sitting here before the podcast saying, all right, what's the identity of this defense? And the identity is it's versatile. And that's the thing that jumps out to me in terms of the different packages that Todd Orlando can roll out there. They roll out three defensive linemen most of the game a week ago with seven defensive backs. Uh, not a lot of teams can, can do that around the country and, you know, have extra pass rushers sitting on the sideline. So that's what I take away. And I also am pleased with where the defense interior of the defensive line is right now. That was a big concern for me and was impressed with those guys a week ago. So Washington State, Washington State's a better offense than, you know, some of these other offenses that, that SC is going to see this season. I mean, Arizona's worse. Colorado's worse. Uh, Oregon State, we'll see. Verdict's still on them, but. Washington State offense in that first half wasn't totally uh, totally BS. I think uh, I'm, I'm confident in, in what SC can be moving forward. I have been the whole time, and so I'm, I'm right with you on that. But I know there's still a lot of skepticism, and a lot of people are quick to just say, well, yeah, that was against a walk-on quarterback most of the way, and how do you explain the first quarter? So I guess you explain it by whatever they follow it up with this week and if they build on it or if they don't. So turning to this week, USC is back at home. They host Oregon State. Oregon State is 2-1. and one. Oregon State lost 30-21 to 21 to Purdue in its opener and then kind of pounded Hawaii 45-27 and Idaho 42 nothing. So it's hard to know what to read into all that. But, Max, just in terms of their personnel, they have a new quarterback this year. They split reps the first game, and then they went to Chance Nolan is the guy. He's passed for – 634 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. They really have new guys at quarterback, at running back, at receiver. It's kind of just new personnel across the board. What jumps out to you about Chance Nolan, about this offense, and about their playmakers? What jumps out to me about this offense is uh, the fact that they're not dead in the water like we have seen with some of the Oregon State offenses as of late. Uh, obviously, Jonathan Smith has – you know, kind of built upon what he every single year, but it wasn't that long ago that Oregon State's offenses offense was was, was rough. So, Chance Nolan is a guy that he's not anything earth shattering, but he's a guy that can execute the play that you call. He can make a little bit of things happen with his legs from here from time to time. 
but he's just, you know, a, a system quarterback that uh, delivers the ball to open receivers when they're there. Uh, with Oregon State, this is a run-first offense. Their running back, B.J. Baylor, is uh, is very good. He's, uh, he, he's the dude. This is one – this is – I mean, the offense goes as he goes. Uh, statistically, Oregon State has the best offense in the conference. I don't know how long that's going to last, but it's because of what B.J. Baylor's been able to do. They have Tyjon Lindsey – who's a good slot in there. Luke Musgrave is the tall 6'6 receiver on the outside who, uh, as I say that, I'm sure there's some SC fans having deja vu to a little bit of what Stanford did. And I think that's a very fair concern in terms of Musgrave potentially, you know, out muscling the uh, SC DBs on the outside edge and and maybe doing that. But Oregon State has some players, uh, but it definitely starts with the run game and, they have an active defense. Uh, I don't think any guys fear you uh, from an offensive standpoint, but this is a team that's going to come into the Coliseum and be competitive. I saw the lines 11 points. I think that's that's pretty appropriate. I, I, I expect this to be a, a game in the second half, and it's just a matter of uh, what kind of SC team we're getting in terms of whether or not they can blow, blow them away and, and make it a 3-4 touchdown game, or is this going to be a game that's uh, close and down to the wire? What's your read on Oregon State's defense and the challenge they present to the Trojans? They're just speedy and or they're 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 solid. Um, I I I said speedy, but I should have said they're active. They do a good job of making you earn things offensively. There, there's no blown coverages. There's no oh my gosh, this guy is an extremely weak player that we can um, attack and he looks scared. Uh, they, they're built with their inside linebackers. Avery Roberts and Omar Spates have played a lot of football for Oregon State. They're got, they're not at, those linebackers aren't as good as Arizona State or Utah or any, any of those guys, but they're solid. And they, they fly around, they make some plays. And if you show up where you're not executing or you show up where you're creating or causing penalties on yourself, this is an Oregon State team that will beat you. This is a defense that will get after you. Oregon State does not make mistakes that that's that's how they've been that's how they've been competitive and that's how they 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 are two and one yes idaho was was not good but that's how they have bounced back since purdue especially when you look across the conference uh, and there's teams like a utah or arizona state or ucla that are beating themselves in weeks past oregon state's not a team that does that good deal well let's close with predictions i'll let you go first what do you got i'll go 31 24 USC. Okay, we're not far off. I'm at 37-24, and that is me having confidence in a big Keaton Slovis statement game and this offense continuing to build off what it did last week, even with a different quarterback. Max, always enjoy it. We will be back next week to break this down, and the way things are going, I'm sure there will be some major news for us to discuss that we don't even know about yet. Seriously, hopefully no more injuries, but major news for sure. All right, good deal. We'll see you next time.